My brothers and sisters, I'm honored to be here tonight. And frankly, uh, looking at the size of the audience, I uh, feel like I'm a hundred and some odd years old. <laughs> I just hope I don't come through to you tonight as being that old. I would seek an interest in your faith and prayers that what I say might be meaningful and might touch some of your hearts in such a way that it will cause you to want to be better tomorrow than you have ever been before in your life. It's an awesome responsibility. I think all of you can sense that for anyone to take the time of this large audience of you wonderful, beautiful, young Latter-day Saints. And I don't assume this assignment except with fear and trembling, seeking that the Lord's will will be done. I received the football schedule with an invitation to attend the football games only to be disappointed that my travel schedule is such that I won't be able to attend any of the games this fall. But I thought I would share with you as students of BYU the involvement in athletics of the Ballard family. My father, who still is living in his 82nd year, was assigned here during World War I as an officer. And while he was in Provo and with that assignment at this campus, felt that Brigham Young University should have a football team. He secured permission from those who presided over the university, but was informed that there were no funds to buy uniforms or to get the necessary equipment for football at BYU. And so Father, being the enterprising young man that he was and still is, went about raising money through the community of Utah County and was successful in raising enough money to buy the first uniforms for the first football team at BYU. And he has great pleasure in talking about that involvement at this great university. I hope we have a successful season in uniforms that are much more attractive and much more uh, equipped for the game today. We have had an interesting experience in our home the last few days. One of our married children decided to buy a home. They spent a long time looking everywhere in the valley for a home that they thought they could afford and that would meet their needs, that could be financed on such a way that they could make the payments and where the down payment was, was within their possibility. 
I watched with interest the process that those two children of ours went through. And when they came to me for counsel, which I appreciated that they did, and we went out and looked at the home that they had chosen, I had but one comment to make to my son-in-law. And with that comment, I would like to have this become my theme for the few minutes I talk to you tonight. I asked him, is it worth it? How many times in life do you and I have to ask the question, is it worth it? I suppose there are many of you who have purchased automobiles or have made some major purchase in your life of a stereo set or television or something like that that you felt was very important. And I would guess that as you struggled with the question as to whether or not you were going to part with your hard-earned dollars for whatever it was you wanted to acquire, you wrestled in your mind with the question, is it worth it? Every day we wrestle with the question, my dear brothers and sisters, of is it worth it? Now, I understand that 50% of those of you who are here tonight are here on this campus for the first time, beginning your university career at Brigham Young. You will be in the throes of academic classwork coming next week. Some of you are in for some surprises. Some of you are going to find that school at the University of Brigham Young is a little different than high school. You're going to find the expectation is higher. You're going to find the opportunities for learning are probably greater and wider and broader than you ever dreamed possible. And you will find, I think I can predict with safety, that there'll be many times that you'll go back to your apartment with the question in your mind, is it worth it? <laughs> Let's talk about trying to define in your mind the things that I think you ought to do between now and when your first class starts. You have tonight and tomorrow to ponder this. I'd even recommend that some of the things that you conclude and decide be written down and that you make a permanent record that you can refer back to. What are your goals as a freshman or as a student entering this great university? Will you pay the price for excellence? Are you willing to become the very best in the field that you choose as your course in life? To you missionaries who are here from the MTC, 
Have you made the commitment in your hearts and in your minds that you're going to be the very best missionary you are capable of being? Are some of you students or missionaries just walking through this experience, putting in the time, so to speak? Or have you got right down to the heart and the core of the purpose of being a student here or being in training at the Missionary Training Center? I would hope that every one of us would be wise enough to realize that we can be excellent. We can be the top. We can be the very best, but we must be willing to pay the price. And we must be willing to establish in our minds that to be great in whatever we attempt to do in life, we have to pre-decide that it is all worth it. Have you set your priorities? Are they solidly and clearly defined in your minds? Is it clear when you get up in the morning and the morning after that and each morning while you're on this campus and each morning while you're serving in the mission field, is it clear in your mind what your first priority is? And are your priorities established clearly in relationship to the scriptures, or at least what I would like and would hope my message to you might teach, and that is that we are the sons and daughters of God, and we have a great destiny, we have a great challenge, we have a great work to do. But our number one priority, to me at least, could well be, am I doing and living and acting each day as a candidate for the highest degree of the celestial kingdom? I know that if I should ask you to raise your hands and tell me how many of you are interested and entering the highest degree of the celestial kingdom, I would be very surprised if not everyone's hand would go up. I think that's our ultimate long-range goal. I think that ought to be our number one priority. And I think as we think about that, and as we understand a few of the insights that the Lord has blessed us with in the scriptures, It's not hard to come to the conclusion, yes, it's worth it. Now, if you've brought your scriptures with you, you might like to join with me in a few scriptures to see if I can demonstrate to you what I just said. I'd invite you to turn to the 76th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, the 50th verse. I will read the scriptures 
I will skip through the section simply for the interest in time, but would encourage all of you in your leisure to read carefully the instructions that we have from our Father in Heaven through His prophet on trying to define in our minds, is it worth it? The 50th verse, and, and again we bear record, for we saw and heard, and this is the testimony of the gospel of Christ concerning them who shall come forth in the resurrection of the just. They are they who received the testimony of Jesus and believed on his name and were baptized after the manner of his burial, being buried in the water in his name, and this according to the commandment which he has given. I would like to pause here just for a moment because I would guess that most of you were baptized members of the church when you turned eight years of age. I was. And as I read that scripture and contemplate the kind of a decision I made, I really didn't make much of a decision on that day. Gratefully, my mother and father felt it was important for me to be baptized. I can remember my interview with the bishop when I was eight. I can remember the coaching that I'd received from my mother before the interview. I remember her telling me, now the bishop's going to ask you why you want to be baptized. And I listened with great interest to get the answer from mother as to what I should give to the bishop. She also taught me that I would most likely be asked about receiving the Holy Ghost and being confirmed and why that was important. I went to my interview. I passed it with flying colors as an eight-year-old. All of the questions were exactly as Mother said they'd be, and I gave the answer. But I really didn't make much of a decision. There are those of you in this vast audience who are converts to the Church who have had to ponder the question whether or not you would be baptized whether or not you would receive this sacred ordinance at the hands of the holy priesthood. But all of us have to deal with the next verse every single day, if not minute, of our lives. The Lord said in the 52nd verse that by keeping the commandments, they might be washed and cleansed from all their sins and receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands of him who was ordained and sealed unto this power. That by keeping the commandments. Now we're faced at this moment with the question, is it worth it? Is it worth keeping all of the commandments? Is it worth being morally clean? Is it worth living the laws of chastity? Is it worth living the law of the word of wisdom? Is it worth being honest, both in your business dealings and 
in your dealings here on the campus, in your classes, and through your testing? Is it worth paying your fast offerings and your tithing? Is it worth serving in whatever capacity you're called upon to serve? And on and on. And so each moment of each day, we are faced, I think, with the process of decision-making that's based on the evaluation system that we have built and accepted in our lives, that has come up through our training in our homes, has come from the training of the Church. The guidelines are clearly there, and our sight and our vision is riveted on the long-range goal of qualifying to inherit the highest degree of the celestial kingdom. I don't believe for one minute that because you want that great and glorious blessing that it's going to happen unless you are willing to repent of those things that you need to repent of, unless we are willing to keep the commandments. Oh, that somehow, by some gift, I could reach into your hearts and into your minds and build a sensitivity and a love for the Lord, ignite the spirit that is within you, that you could rivet your eyes on that great goal and be willing to pay the price of keeping the commandments. The 53rd verse, And whoso overcome by faith and are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise which the Father sheds forth upon all those who are just and true. Just a word about that. It is possible, brothers and sisters, to fool your bishop, to fool your mother and your father, to fool your stake president. And you can even fool your mission president, elders and sisters. But you cannot fool the Holy Ghost. Oftentimes when we would have a question and answer section session in my mission, and it seemed invariably when we had this period of time or any of the missions I've toured since being in the general authority, this question gets asked. Brother Ballard, what must we do to have our calling and election made sure? The answer seems relatively simple, perhaps too simple for some of us. But as I have studied that question, I believe I would feel safe in answering it to you tonight by saying, live your life in such a way that the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost can testify to the Father on your behalf and on my behalf that we have in very deed been just and true in keeping all of the commandments.
You and I cannot fool the Holy Ghost. It's wisdom not to try that. It's safety just to strive to keep the commandments every day by riveting in our minds where it is we're going. Now, is it worth the commitment that's necessary? Let me read to you the 55th verse. They are they into whose hands the Father has given all things. Now, I want to reread that because I'm not sure that that's completely penetrated your mind yet, and it has to in order for you to keep in focus this question I'm placing before you tonight, is it worth it? Those who keep all of the commandments, those who are just and true, in the eyes of the Holy Ghost who can testify on our behalf before the Father, they are they into whose hands the Father has given all things. I've asked missionaries, I've even asked patriarchs and stakes on occasion when this subject has been discussed in a leadership meeting, could you explain to me in simple terms what you think that means? Now you ponder for a moment the meaning that all that our Father has will be given unto you and to me if we will keep all of the commandments. When I ponder that our Heavenly Father, by His great, glorious, exalted understanding of the Holy Priesthood and mastery of the Holy Priesthood, organized this world under which, on which we live at the direction, not the direction, but with the assistance of his beloved Son, Jesus Christ. When I contemplate that matter unorganized was organized into a world for you and for me to come and dwell on, when I contemplate that the power of Almighty God, whom we read, will give unto us all that he has, by that power the Daylight was separated from the dark, the land from the sea, the fishes were placed in the sea, the fowls in the air. When I contemplate the creation process, just go home and reread it in the book of Genesis, and then come back and realize that the Father is promising to all his sons and all his daughters. Who are willing to pay the price of keeping all his commandments that he will give unto them all that he has? Now the 58th verse. Those who learn to be obedient, those who learn to master themselves, who learn to set priorities and not lose sight of the long-range priority in the process of life. The 58th verse. Wherefore? As it is written, they are gods, even the sons of God. Oh, my brothers and sisters, 
that we could contemplate and really understand as we're here at this great university, at your young ages, what that means. And then if you could just place that priority properly in your life and then live to it, you would never, ever have the difficulty, in my opinion at least, of making the right decisions. You would always have tucked in the back of your mind, it's worth it. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to shortcut. I'm going to go all the way because it is worth it. 62nd verse. These shall dwell in the presence of God and his Christ forever and ever. Is that where you want to go? Is that where you want to be? May I take but a moment and share with you the feeling of Melvin J. Ballard, who was my grandfather, an apostle of the Lord whose recorded testimony is one of the great witnesses of this dispensation. For he stood in the presence of the Savior of this world and was embraced by him and was blessed by him and then recorded in his testimony before the Quorum of the Twelve and the First Presidency in the Temple on January 9, 1919. Oh, he said, that I could live a million years. I would give all that I have or ever hope to be to be back in his presence once again. Now that's where we're talking about trying to go. We're trying to qualify for that blessing and that honor. 70th verse. These are they whose bodies are celestial, whose glory is that of the sun, even the glory of God, the highest of all, whose glory, the son of the fireman, is written as being typical. 92. And thus we saw the glory of the celestial, which exceeds in all things, where God, even the Father, reigns upon his throne forever and ever. And then these... Powerful words, let them penetrate. 95. And he makes them equal in power and in might and in dominion. And the glory of the celestial is one even as the glory of the sun is one. Now, my brothers and sisters, that's a lofty goal and a great objective. And it's a promised objective, a real objective that can be obtainable by you and by me if we're willing to pay the price. Could you turn just quickly to the 84th section, the 33rd verse? This you young men all know is the oath and the covenant of the holy priesthood. There are some words here, though, that I'd like to have you hear to fortify what the Lord had taught again or earlier in the 76th section. For whoso is faithful unto the obtaining these two priesthoods of which I have spoken, now listen carefully to the next few words because I think this is the key, and the magnifying of their calling, their calling are sanctified by the Spirit unto the renewing of their bodies. 
They become the sons of Moses and of Aaron and the seed of Abraham and the church and kingdom and the elect of God. And also all they who receive this priesthood receive me, saith the Lord. For he that receiveth my servants receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth my father. Now listen. And he that receiveth my father receiveth my father's kingdom. Therefore, all that my father hath shall be given unto him. Is it worth it? Is it worth giving all of the attention, all of the energy that we can to the building of this great kingdom here upon the earth? I say, yes, it is. Now, you missionaries especially, and those I see who are returned missionaries, and there must be thousands of you here tonight, may I talk to you a minute or two about one of the keys that I think are important, is important, in order to be able to always keep the objective of the highest degree of the celestial kingdom foremost in our goals. And always out there with the objective and the thought in our mind, it's worth it, I'm not going to weaken, I'm going to go forward, I'm going to make it. Because that's the promise of the Father to me, his son, or to me, his daughter. You must learn and I must learn as we walk through this process of life how to become powerful spiritually. The spirit that dwells within this tabernacle of flesh and bone is the literal offspring of our eternal heavenly parents. We know that. We've all talked about it in Sunday school and priesthood meeting. But because of that spiritual side of our existence, we are into a degree, we have a spark of divinity in us, for we trace our common parentage back to our heavenly parents, thus making us all brothers and sisters. We understand that concept, I'm sure. But the battle, the struggle, as I see it in life, as we wrestle with it and as I've tried to live it, and I must tell you that it I have had my struggles and continue to have them, and I believe everyone else does too. If you don't have any, I would be concerned. As part of life is to learn this principle of obedience, this principle of reliance upon the Lord. We must educate, feed, and build our spirit at this university every bit as much as we do our academic fields or the temporal or the physical side. The spirit has to be powerful and be magnified in order to qualify for the great blessings. And I think if we turn to the 88th section, we might get a little insight on that that would be helpful. And the Spirit, the 15th verse, 
And the spirit and the body are the soul of man. And the resurrection from the dead is the redemption of the soul. And the redemption of the soul is through him that quickeneth all things, in whose bosom it is decreed that the poor and the meek of the earth shall inherit it. Therefore, it must needs be sanctified from all unrighteousness, that it may be prepared for the celestial glory. For after it hath filled the measure of its creation, it shall be crowned with glory, even the presence of God the Father. That bodies who are of the celestial kingdom may possess it forever and ever. For for this intent was it made and created, and for this intent are they sanctified. And they who are not sanctified through the law which I have given unto you, even the law of Christ or the commandments, must inherit another kingdom, even that of a terrestrial kingdom or that of a celestial kingdom. For he who is not able to abide the law of a celestial kingdom cannot abide a celestial glory. Now, I don't know, and the time is remaining, that I can really totally bring that into focus, at least as to what it means to me. But let me try. I think we're living or trying to live the celestial law today, don't you? What difference should there be in the way we behave today against waiting for that time when we're dead and the body and the spirit are separated? Is there going to be a difference? Grandfather Ballard taught with great power, and I've been enjoyed studying his sermons. I think he had a great insight. And, of course, he was an apostle and a prophet. That when we die, we won't even know we're dead until we go to do something with our bodies and find we can't do it when the body and the spirit have been separated. He said, then would come the great appreciation and the full realization of the ministry and the atoning sacrifice of the Christ, and we would all look forward in great anticipation for the day of resurrection when the body and the spirit could be reunited once again, never to be parted. If you have a bad habit or anyone has a bad habit, do you think death is going to change that? Do you think that habit's just going to dissolve in some miraculous way? It's not going to be with you? I believe that the reason the Lord impresses you and me to repent and to try to live the law, try to keep the commandments, try to keep our lives lined up to the celestial goal, is because when we are here in mortality, the body and the spirit can learn together. As an example, if a man smokes and dies and his body is placed six feet into the ground, 
Is there any reason for us to believe that when that body comes back up out of the ground that it's no longer going to have the desires that it had when it was laid down? I don't think so. I think the body will rise with the, rise up in the resurrection with the same desires and that the body and the spirit must work out this matter of eternal salvation. That's why it's important for you and to me to be believing enough and willing enough while we're here on this earth to strive with all of our power to keep the commandments. Is it worth it? We have to say to ourselves, well, I hope I have made the point clear that it certainly it's worth it to receive all that our Father has to be given unto his sons and his daughters by any reasonable thinking person or standard. My brothers and sisters, we'd have to come away from this meeting tonight saying, well, yes, certainly it's worth it. But it's hard, Brother Ballard. There's so many things out there that I've got to get on top of and I have to conquer. Heavenly Father knows that. He knows it's difficult. He's getting to know you and me. I used to tell my missionaries and would like to tell this group of great young men and women, I don't think there'll be a time in your life where the Lord will get better acquainted with you than he will on your mission. Don't tamper with mission rules. Don't tamper with the commandments. Just do it because it's right. Just do it because that's what the handbook says. Just do it because that's what your mission president counsels you to do. Why? Because there's safety in it. They will not counsel you in anything that except those things that will help exalt you, that will prepare you to become celestial. This comes home to you pretty hard when you are sitting in your office and the telephone rings and you receive a, an assignment from President Benson to go speak at a funeral service for a missionary who had lost his life in the mission field. I've had that happen. Do you have any feeling at all brothers and sisters, what it's like to stand in a chapel at a service for a missionary who was serving well and lost his life on his mission, was sent home to continue to another mission. I was impressed to tell that family he'd been transferred to a greater work, a higher work, but can you sense the feeling that goes through a general authority's mind in that position? Oh, how grateful I was that I could call the mission president and ask him about five words, five questions. What kind of an elder was he? Outstanding, the president said. He could have been an assistant. He could have been any assign had any assignment in our mission. Brother Ballard, I just didn't have a finer missionary than this young man. What a thrill it is to know that that missionary was living the celestial law on his mission. I'm sure that he didn't expect to be called home. 
I'm sure that he didn't expect that accident to occur. It wasn't in his planning, I'm sure, at all. But it happened, and he was alive and well in the morning, and he was gone in the afternoon. Gone where? Back to the presence of our Father in heaven. You think it was important that he was living right up to the best of his ability, the celestial law? Will you ponder in your minds as you walk through this experience now here at the Brigham Young University and on your missions that you're going to live as close to that celestial law as you know how? You're going to strive to keep the commandments. You're going to strive to build your spirit, build the power of your spirit. Oh, that every one of us might have the power and the feeling of the great prophet Nephi. I love these words in the 16th chapter of 1st Nephi, second chapter of 1st Nephi, the 16th verse. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, being exceeding young, I believe he was younger than most of you, nevertheless being large in stature, and also having, the key words, listen, and also having great desires to know of the mysteries of God. Do you have that desire? A great desire to know of the mysteries of God? Do you desire that enough to pay the price? Nephi did. I did cry unto the Lord, he said. And behold, he did visit me. When I read those words, chills run up and down my spine. I don't know what it does to you. And did soften my heart that I did believe all the words which had been spoken by my father. Wherefore, I did not rebel against him like unto my brother's. All oh, the power to have a desire to know with all of your heart the things of God. Do not let, and I hope President Oaks would feel good with this comment, I'm sure he would, do not let your quest to become a profession, professional doctor or a lawyer or scientist or educator, salesman, marketing executive, whatever your goal is, do not let that ever overshadow your quest for a testimony of the divine mission of Jesus Christ, the divine mission of Joseph Smith, the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon, the fact that we're led by a prophet of God, even Spencer W. Kimball, Oh, that that would burn in our hearts. Oh, that we would have the desire burning in our hearts with all the power we're capable of mustering to know the mysteries of God, that the Spirit might be educated, the Spirit might be prepared for that great day and promise when we will go back into the presence of our Heavenly Father. 
May I close these remarks with just these great words from our prophet and say to you that we in the church today will desperately need every single one of you young people prepared, spiritually prepared, with all question out of your mind as to whether or not it's worth it, that you'd already resolved that and solidly entrenched, yes, it's worth the goal, it's worth the quest, it's worth the effort, because here is your job. It's going to be a bigger job for you, I think, than it is for us. The job was issued to you and to me by President Kimball in April conference. Just a few excerpts as he closed that great conference. Now, President Kimball said, my brothers and sisters, it seems clear to me, indeed this impression weighs upon me, that the church is at a point in its growth and maturity when we are at last ready to move forward in a major way. But the basic decisions needed for us to move forward, listen carefully, as a people, must be made by the individual members of the church. And then skipping further into his counsel to us at that time, we have paused on some, some plateaus long enough. Let us resume our journey forward and upward. Let us quietly put an end to our reluctance to reach out to others, whether in our own families, wards, or neighborhoods. We have been diverted at times from fundamentals on which we must now focus in order to move forward as a person and as a people. Oh, brothers and sisters, it's worth it. May God bless each one of you that in your individual lives you'll find peace in your hearts and your minds. If there is transgression and difficulty that's holding you back from that, seek out your bishop. Get your life aligned and righted to the celestial path. And then commit, if you have not already done so, commit tonight as you write your goals. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to be ready when the brethren need me, whether it's for a Sunday school assignment or to be president of the stake or to be a general authority or whatever, I will be ready because it is worth it. I leave my witness and testimony that Jesus is the Christ. He lives. This is his church. How blessed we are to know that. We are on the road back into his holy presence. I testify that if we will listen to the voice of the prophets and the apostles, strive to keep the commandments, 
that all the blessings of eternity will in very fact become ours. May the Lord bless us to that end. May his peace be in your lives and in your activities on this campus this coming year. Have a great year. Have a lot of fun. And in it all, find yourself spiritually, the real dip, deep roots of your own spirituality. May they be fed and nourished as never before. I pray humbly in the sacred and beloved name of Jesus Christ. Amen.